Hello, I'm Chris Neeland, host of a new podcast, Cult Brand Secrets, brought to you by The Gathering and Evergreen Podcasts. The Gathering is a Forbes top-rated business summit and a masterclass for brand and business leaders looking to reap the benefits of cult-like adoration. Each year, The Gathering brings together disruptors from around the globe to learn from and to celebrate the leaders behind iconic brands like Marvel, Skittles, Beats by Dre, Yeti, and the Dallas Cowboys. For the first time ever, this podcast will give you access to some of the exclusive business leader learnings from the gathering's past events. I have been familiar with Big Brothers Big Sisters organization for many years, but it wasn't until my team and I did a deep dive into their brand and into their operations that I truly understood their mission and their origin story and their impact. I was simply blown away by how truly remarkable this organization is. And I hope more people learn about them, uh, participate and volunteer for them, and also copy many of their behaviors of success for your own for-profit or not-for-profit company. Big Brothers Big Sisters exists to quote, create and support one-to-one mentoring relationships that ignite the power and promise of youth, end quote. It is one of the oldest and largest youth mentoring organizations in the United States. And it works with tens of thousands of volunteers and numerous local chapters around the country. It was started back in 1904. So it joins a remarkable list of cult brands that are at least a century old. We try to honor at least one Centurion brand every year. But what I didn't know was that its founder was a court clerk who was concerned about seeing so many young boys come through his courtroom. He recognized that caring adults could help many of these boys stay out of trouble. So he set out to find volunteers. And that marked the beginning of Big Brothers Big Sisters of New York City, and really the Big Brothers movement in general. By 1916, Big Brothers had spread to 96 cities across the country, and it's been growing ever since. I wish more for-profit organizations borrowed plays from non-profit playbooks, and vice versa. The divide between these two business models really isn't that great. Both rely on creating desirable brands and elevating their noble brand purpose. Both are heavily dependent upon cultures that motivate people to bring their best selves to work each day. And both can reap above average benefits by creating opportunities for their fans to congregate and co-create and participate in rites and rituals that increase their affinity towards the organization and each other. Regardless of which type of business you work with, please listen to Artis's story and then challenge yourself to find two or three things that he's doing that could also make your company or your charity better. Here's Artis. Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here today uh, at the uh, gathering uh, session here to talk about Reimagine and Rally, bringing people together with purpose. Uh, it's you know, my pleasure and my excitement to, to join you, to spend time with you, to talk a little bit about myself, my personal journey, but very importantly, just the idea about how we think about purpose and how we think about purpose as a vehicle, as a platform to bring people together, to organize, to, to, to galvanize, to convene. So we're going to talk through a little bit of that journey today, and hopefully that there's some inspiration I can share with you. I want to thank each of you for attending this session, spending the time uh, to connect with me. And I look forward to, after sharing uh, a few slides and a few words here, having some opportunity to take some Q&A uh, and engage with you a, a bit more intimately. So let's jump into it. First is a little bit about my story, right? So this story, I always believe in this idea of a purpose board, right? And a purpose board is so this visual illustration that talks about your journey. And this is really important because my journey is everything about how I see the world. You know, what's my perspective in life, the idea of where we're going and the things that we think about uh, as well. So I'm going to tell you just a little bit about what my journey is all about. 
and the focus of what I work on uh, through my life and through my experience. Uh, the thing that you'll see very clearly here is the journey uh, that starts with me is everything about fatherhood, uh, fatherhood and marriage, right? So uh, I will tell you, and please do not be angry or be mad about this, but I have won Father of the Year, Dad of the Year, 13 years in a row. I have to tell you, really exciting, really incredible. Now, I will tell you, it's a pretty biased panel, but you know what? I'm taking the award uh, anyway. Uh, you know, my journey also starts with understanding the sense of what family is all about. I was born in a large family. So it was uh, eight of us in our, in our household. I was the youngest uh, in my household. And then growing up, uh, basically in Jacksonville, Florida, I, I was born in Jacksonville, Florida, moved to a small town in southeast Georgia called Brunswick, Georgia. Probably many of you haven't heard of that place, but maybe you have. Put a pin in that because we're going to come back to Brunswick, Georgia and why that's so significant in my story as well. But I was born in this idea of my dad was, was a preacher. My granddad uh, was a preacher. My mom was the, the glue of our family, but also the glue of our community. And what I always remember about something that just stayed with me and stuck with me is that when I was a kid, everyone used to ask me, oh, are you going to be a preacher like your dad? And I always remember I was seven years old at the time. Yeah, asking a seven-year-old, what's going to be your career journey? I get it. But I went to my dad and I said, so everyone's asking me I'm going to be a preacher like you. Does that mean I need to follow in your footsteps? And I always remember what my dad shared with me. He said, everyone has their ministry in this world. You have to find your own. And that stuck with me because it was my sense of empowerment. It was my sense of journey. It was a sense of discovery of who I was and, and what I needed to discover about myself, even at that age. But it was the empowerment of then going on and taking chances, taking risks, making mistakes, being a kid, being someone who was adventuring out and being feeling empowered to do so. I share with you because that's so important about the journey I'm gonna to talk to you today about purpose and about galvanizing people around this idea of purpose, whether it's personally or whether it's professionally. Now, we didn't have a lot growing up. I was uh, not a lot of means, but we were rich in relationships. We were rich in laughter. I was fortunate because I was given opportunities to find exposure to different places, to different peoples, to different worlds. That allowed me and empowered me to be the first in my family to go on to college and graduate college. Uh, it put me in a position that I played sports in high school. I thought my journey to, to college was gonna be through sports. And then I injured myself significantly in my junior year in high school and it totally destroyed me, put me in a state of depression. But what I learned from that was that I had a village around me, a group of people that were supporting me. And very importantly, that really pointed to me that my definition of who I was was not defined by sports, but was defined by so much more. And that same type of drive and commitment that I had towards being an athlete was applying that same type of drive and commitment and determination to being the type of student and the type of person academically that I wanted to achieve. And that's what pushed me and that's what uh, drove me to succeed, not just in that point in where I went to school, but in graduating and achieving certain things in life in terms of my own purpose and my own definition. I share that also with you to say that as the journey that we're going to talk about today is about the lessons in life, as much as it's about the lessons in your career and about the lessons uh, that you may do in terms of partnerships or work, because they're all interconnected. You know, I'll leave you with this, is that throughout my career, I started my first, I was going to law school after I graduated college. Uh, and when I was going to law school, I took a detour. And that detour was doing some interviews in public housing. I called myself doing some interviews. And I was going to interview for this job in public housing to get some skills in an interview before I went on to law school. And when I went to interview, I interviewed with a, a guy who became my lifelong mentor. And that lifelong mentor uh, took me out to a public housing community. And in that public housing community, he showed me a playground. And in that playground, he said, what do you know about this playground? And I laughed. And when I laughed, I thought about it. And this guy had done his homework. He had essentially taken me to the playground and I told him, this is the playground that I played in as a kid. And he shared with me at the time, you can always go to law school, but you can't always come back and transform a community that you played in, that you grew up in, uh, and see that community transform and transform lives. It stuck with me. It stuck with me as a person and who I was at the core. It was my definition of finding my walk and my journey and my purpose in life.
And then that helped me to sort of build the types of partnerships in that community where I was bringing the mission of what the youth and the families needed in that community with the marketplace and what was happening around the greater community to bring in corporate partners, investors, government grants, the public sector, the private sector, to ensure that impact that was being made that can help families and communities reach self-sufficiency. That took me on to my journey of working for 13 years at Bulgin Hills Clubs of America, where I worked on uh, education programs, national programs, did a lot of things in terms of understanding what works in terms of changing the lives of kids and communities. I then moved over into marketing and fundraising, where my background was uh, when I went to college at University of Georgia, by the way, if there's any Bulldogs out there. Um, but it took me to a spot and it took me to a place of understanding not just marketing and communication, but understanding the product of what it was truly about when we talked about young people and understanding the program and how do you do that and how do you do it effectively in terms of communicating it, selling it in, engaging people around it, but really closing around the idea. I ended up leading all the national marketing uh, at Bulgin Hills Clubs of America. But then when I left, I went to another youth organization called 4-H. And many of you may have heard of that organization as well. Uh, because a lot of the emphasis of that organization is around young people as well, but particularly in rural communities. So I had an opportunity to really focus on an organization that had big cities, urban communities, but I, then I went to an organization that uh, focused a lot on rural communities. And I got to see, yes, all the differences, all the things that change in these communities, all the things that we talk about, the great divide, absolutely, from a political spectrum, from the um, economic, environmental perspective. But here's the other thing that I had a chance to see the connecting points. What was so similar about what young people were facing, no matter whether they were in the middle of Iowa or in downtown Chicago, that so much of young people being up against it, having the same issues, having the same challenges were key and critical, and we could provide the solutions by acting together as a community. That gave me this opportunity to be the chief marketing officer at National 4-H uh, Council and to lead an effort that brought in one million alumni back into the organization that helped them transform the organization and where it was going. But I'll tell you what was so significant was that it was at this moment that I was going through my journey in all the different places that last year that we've all experienced and all of the pandemic, social injustices, but it was Ahmaud Aubrey. And I know that name sounds familiar because Ahmaud Aubrey was murdered. And my Ahmaud Aubrey was murdered in my hometown. I told you to put a pen in Brunswick, Georgia. So Ahmaud Aubrey, when he was murdered and it caught national attention, it made me step back. It made me step back and think about things because I know it's a small town in Brunswick, Georgia. We all knew the same people, all new family members. The street that he was murdered on, I walked those streets when I was a kid. So it wasn't just about the things and the injustices that have happened from a racial standpoint in our country, but it was also a personal connection to me. And it didn't make me question that if I was doing the right thing, my ministry, my calling, as my dad would put it, but it did make me question if I was doing enough, if I was really stepping out in the way that I needed to step out and make that type of commitment. And that put me in a place to really thinking about it and talking about it with friends and family members. And it wasn't too long after that, that this match was made, this match with Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America. And when I looked at this organization, I saw this, right? So I saw this board. So you just saw my visual board, but I saw this, this written board, this word for a board, this cloud of words that were a mirror of who I was. This idea of empowerment, the idea of youth, the idea of making good on our future, standing together, the idea of children. But at the very centerpiece, more than anything, the idea of potential, the potential that young people have, but also the potential that each of us have in the work and the things that we do, the potential of communities to come together to change them, the potential of volunteers to be engaged in ways that they've never been engaged before. This is what I saw. And I saw the potential that I had within myself to help to realize that as becoming the president and CEO of this organization. Yes, I'm the first black CEO of the organization in this 116 year history. I won't be the last. But what it also means for me is that it's an important sense of the model that we all set the model of our actions and the things that we do to truly allow and empower potential to come to life. Because here's what we know. We know that talent is everywhere, but opportunity is not. We see it in our communities. We see it every single day in the things that we do and the partnerships that we have, the 
the constituents we serve, whether you, whether you serve it from a, a corporate perspective, a government, education, uh, for a social impact organization, it's all across the areas that we do, in the constituents we serve, but also in the people that we work with. But we know that talent is everywhere and opportunity is not. This is why the basis of this organization, Big Brothers Big Sisters, was truly founded. Because we were founded on this idea that 117 years ago, we were founded as an alternative innovation to the juvenile justice system, right? So there was this brilliant idea that too many kids were going into the juvenile justice systems, going into the court system, finding delinquency, but that we could do it better, that there was a better, more innovative way that we could all do it, right? That at the time in that prism that we looked at, the sense of justice was not being fairly distributed, that kids were being marginalized, that kids didn't have the opportunity or the access to be able to do the incredible things that they could do within their lives. And it started with this sense of believing in their innate potential and empowering every kid to reach their full potential. So if you look at that as 116 years ago, fast forward to 116 years now, right? We are the largest youth mentoring organization in this country. We're more than a century, century of evidence-based work on one-to-one -one mentoring, industry recognized, serving all across this country, 5,000 communities in all 50 states, hundreds of thousands of staff, hundreds of thousands of volunteers, and millions of alumni that stand with us and empower the impact that we make. And it's all based upon the power of this one-to-one -one match that we talk about that invite, invites and empowers the young person to truly navigate their life and take ownership on who they are. But what I believe that's most special about what we do is the access that we give to families, the access that we give to communities, 100% free of charge because of the work that we do in building a volunteer base, as well as building the types of partnerships, investors, and donors who help to support a model that can scale, not just in local communities, but all across this country. Now, when you think about this, you think about an organization who you say, hey, you don't charge for your film. So how does that work, right? A lot of this is about our innate DNA of JEDI, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. And that's how we refer to our DNA, our focus, our space. And it starts with who we serve. 71% of the kids that we serve are in BPOC communities. We're about split between serving girls and boys. That many of the kids that we serve are kids who are now in that teenage population, are growing into that teenage population, right? When you look at that second panel on your slide, we serve the kids who are facing the most challenges in their lives. Many of our kids are in the poverty level. Many of our kids are in single family households. A quarter of our kids have a parent or a guardian that's either incarcerated or in the parole system. That does not define who they are. That does not define anything about them, but it does describe the environment in which they grow up with and the opportunities and the connections that we as an organization have the ability and the platform to provide. This is what we do. This is who we are about. This is our foundation in terms of creating the type of youth equity and empowerment in our organization. You know, we focus in on three core areas, you know, college and career readiness, the ability to help young people to, to find the pipeline, to find their dreams, to achieve their sense in terms of employment, education, uh, enlistment, entrepreneurship, but a journey that they can take post-secondary that allows them to find and reach their potential. That to truly look at their social-emotional health and their development, and it's also this sense of inclusion and belonging. Those are the three core anchors that we look at as an organization to truly define ourselves and to help drive young people to these possible outcomes to achieve their potential successfully. We do that all through a focus of ensuring that kids are safe, that we have positive outcomes, that our focus of inclusion and, and, and JEDI-specific uh, work is truly de delivered and developed, and that every single thing that we do also has a technology component to be able to deliver. The reason why I share all of this with you is because as you look at this organization and why I joined it, the sense of our purpose is like looking in the mirror, right? So when I look in communities and I see the stories that we tell, and you see some of those illustrated in here, I see myself and how I grew up. Right? I see that connection and that powerful partnership of my personal journey. When I look at the types of partners that we work with, everyone from the NFL to the Starbucks Foundation, to Comcast, NBC Universal, to Merrill and the work that we do with them, all line in a similar thread. 
creating social justice, equity, creating more empowerment, opportunities for young people. We just today announced a partnership with iHeartMedia that's going to allow us to recruit more volunteers, particularly for 30,000 young people who are on our waiting list. And most of those young people being boys and boys of color. So these things allow us to build the types of platforms that allow us to create the village, to create the community that can help to support the work that we do. Again, why focus on it so much? Because if you don't understand this part of the story about why I'm connected to it, what we're trying to build, the personal and professional connection, it's hard to tell the story or the journey about what makes sense and what works in terms of the lessons and the learnings that you can take from this session today. So let's talk about it a little bit. This is where I get into a little bit of the meat, right? So I'm gonna walk you through how we're gonna go through this. This is called Four Rules, Four Stories, Four Lessons to Rally the People You Need and to Inspire the Purpose You Lead. Now, what I'm gonna do through in this process is I'm not gonna take you through a whole bunch of marketing lingo, because I could do that, but that's probably not the most effective way for us to have this type of conversation. I wanna talk a little bit more common sense, right? The common sense that we all work through, that we all think about when we're trying to plan, when we're trying to engage, when we're trying to build our own purpose. Again, whether that's personal, professional, for the work, the career that we're doing, or for the things that we're doing in life. We all think about what's our approach? How do we think about the important questions that we need to answer? How do we start the steps in the process that helps us to get there? Well, let's talk a little bit about it from a common sense and a layperson's standpoint. What's the four rules? What's the four stories? And what's my four lessons? Rule number one, authenticity rules, right? Every single thing that you do, authenticity, the sense of being core to who you are, your essence. You just heard me talk about the last several minutes why I'm a part of this organization, Big Brothers, Big Sisters. It's not simply because this is the organization that, wow, you know, decided to give me a job or that I'm working simply for a salary. That for me, this is intrinsically connected to who I am as a person and how I express my life and how I feel like I can best contribute. That's authenticity from the standpoint of the way that I see it and the way that I connect. And then hopefully through my contributions and collabor collaborating with others, we can build a type of authenticity that allows much, many more young people, many more families, many more communities to be served. But how do you get there? Because I didn't just get here today. It had to be over 25 years of my career of learning and experience. And let me take you back to one, right? And I always start with this quote. The quote on this one, authenticity is at the bottom of our bottle. So without giving away the partner, I'm sure you probably could think of a, a couple corporate partners who probably would maybe say that. Um, this was my first donor relationship. And I will tell you, I was so green and I felt that I, I had everything. I was green, but I was kind of pretty confident. I said, I have this all. I, I did all the training in school. I had all the different techniques and mechanics. And then I put together this plan. So my job was to put together a plan for this partner to talk about how we could launch our relationship together with this partner. So I put, all, I put together all these different things. And then I went to present it with the, to the partner. And I'll never forget the partner's reaction because they looked at me and said, hey, we love everything that you just put on the page, but this doesn't speak to us. This doesn't speak authentically to who we are because authenticity is at the bottom of our bottle. So what did I miss? And then as we think about how we approach the work that we do, whether that work is on marketing or building a brand or building your purpose platform or thinking about that CSR program or thinking about the relationships that you build in partnerships or thinking about your personal journey in terms of building a business or building a connection or even building a, a personal relationship, your why is everything, right? I'm sure many of you have heard or listened or read Simon Sinek's A Golden Circle right? And the power of the why that you start in that inside circle, because if you define your why, everything else leads out. When I talk about big brothers, big sisters, I don't start with mentoring because mentoring is not our why. Mentoring is our how. That's our unique way of how we deliver and deliver what our why is. The why is what you heard me talk about when I talked about equity and empowerment and what that meant in terms of creating those types of inclusive circles for young people so that they grow, develop, and they reach their potential. And then my how is how we specifically do through our own value proposition, our own unique delivery to ensure that that why is living every day. So I ask you, do you know your why? 
have you stepped back and said, this is the core of my why and what we're about and how we perform and how we get to where we're getting to? Do you start with growing your brand, right? Because so many times people think about a brand and you think about all of the different things that are more surface side of a brand, right? Your brand is everything. Your brand's not your advertising campaign. Your brand's not your, your communications or your social media. It's a, it's a component of it, but it's not that. Your brand is truly your reputation. It's who you are. It's how you exhibit yourself, but it grows inside out, just like a personality, right? What's in the inside? How many times do you remember your parents, your mom, or someone else said, hey, what's on the inside ultimately shows itself on the outside. Brand is no different. So when you start to really think about the idea of how you grow authenticity, it's truly starting with the place that works inside. And it's no more important to talk to various audiences and constituencies. The most important audience that you have to talk to is yourself, your employees, your constituencies, your boards, the internal circle that you have, because those are your ultimate ambassadors. Those are the people that have to buy in and sell in first. It starts to think about your policies, everything from, yes, your communication policies, but your HR policies are part of your brand. It's part of what you do. It's part of the stance that you take and say, here's who we are as an organization. It's those types of practices, policies that represent the idea of growing inside out. So you truly, so the next time you, you talk about your brand plan or your marketing plan, truly make sure that you start in the right place so that you can start from inside out. That's part of the key to your success and to your approach. You also have to define what's your three things. And why do I say that? Because ultimately we try to overcomplicate things sometimes. I've been there. I don't know how many of you all have been there when you create these long lasting plans, whether it's a communication plan, marketing plan, fundraising plan, uh, sales plan, and they have all these various components. I'm a true believer in simplicity, that ultimately you have to get down to what's the three essential things that you wanna say in any given conversation, right? What's the three takeaways that you want to have in the way that you go about your work? I know this because I'm planning a strategic plan right now. And I could, I've seen plans that have 30 pages to it, 20 pages, 10 pages. I just start to start with one slide. This one slide has three things on it. And it's those three things are the things that tell me and define where we need to go as an organization. And then ultimately from those three things, it gives the opportunity to then operationalize it, to build in more goals, more uh, objectives, your measures that you wanna have, still keeping it simplified. But you start at a place of the root and allow that root to expand itself out into the beautiful tree that you wanna create. And then last but not least on this slide, transparency is truth. And what I mean by that is that at the core, we have to be, honest about who we are. At the core for authenticity to truly work, you have to be very clear, honest, and I'm going to use another word, the V word, which is a very hard word to, to talk about, vulnerability, right? You have to be vulnerable to share about yourself, about your organization, about what works well and what the strong points are, but also to have the conversations that don't work well. I'll tell you some of the most powerful partner conversations that I've had have not been the ones where I talk about and I say, wow, here are all the things that we do and here's what we can create for you. But they've been more the conversations about what we don't do well, where there's opportunity for us to grow. Because what it allows for partners sometimes to do is to truly engage with you, to immerse with you, to say, here's how we can build something together because we see that this is a growth spot, right? And that's not to say don't concentrate on your strengths. So don't get me wrong. But it also means that if you have a conversation and it's not truly talking about how you truly are, your true reality, then you're selling yourself short and you're selling the opportunity for growth and for partnership short as well. Rule number two. Rule number two is around treating your audience like your best friend, right? We, we need to be able to have conversations and talk with our audiences in the same way you talk with your best friend. So think about it. Think about how you talk to your best friend. I'm talking about those really, not the acquaintances, not the people that you say, ah, oh, sometimes they're in and out. But I'm talking about your true, real best friend. Look at the way that you build your purpose work, that you talk about your purpose, that you engage your purpose from the standpoint of what you do in terms of treating them like a best friend. And the most important element is listening. I remember sitting on a porch when I was young, uh, back um, in, Brun uh, in Jacksonville, Florida, and when I was sitting on the porch, I was with my grandma and I had just gotten in trouble. And I remember I was trying to talk my way 
out of trouble because I was saying, hey, this person, the reason I got into this little fight is because this person did all these things to me, blah, 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 blah. And I started telling my grandma and anytime she tried to say something, I kept talking and I kept talking. And she set this line that you see on the page. God gave us two ears and one mouth so we can listen twice as much as we talk. And <laughs> it stuck with me when she said it uh, because it was one of those wise, you know, wise sayings that, you know, of course, sometimes your grandma or, or, or someone senior in your family may, may say to you. Uh, but what stuck with me also was that it hit me the power of listening, that listening is a superpower. And I truly mean that, folks. I'm not, I'm not joking about that. Listening, the ability not to hear, right? Because we, we, we all have this opportunity or this access to, to hear people, but to truly listen meaning to ascertain, to really take in what they're saying. You want to build a powerful purpose platform with a partner. You want to engage someone into a long-term sustainable relationship. Listen to them, right? It sounds very simple, but it's not the easiest thing for so many people to do because we process the things we want to say, that we're ready to sort of communicate. We're ready with our long PowerPoint. I will tell you some of the most successful meetings that you can have I will ask you and I will recommend that, that you try this and take it away if you haven't already. Go into your partner pitch meeting without a deck, right? Go without a deck, right? At some, at some point, don't take the deck. Take one slot, right? But make the session, orchestrate the session as a truly listening, immersion, and engagement session because it can truly be the way that you move from A to B to C to D by truly listening what a partner what a stakeholder is telling you, what your constituency, what your audiences are telling you, what tools are you using? What listening tools do you use to really ascertain what's going on in your network or in your constituency or in your circles or in your employee base? Are you having those moments? Are you taking the time to do it? Because that's the other sacrifice that you have to give in listening. It's not just listening, but it's also taking the time to do it. So ensuring that you have a well-written plan all about the attempt to listen, engage, assess, and get from your audience. Speaking of assessment, you got to assess yourself and you got to assess if you're dating or if you're married, right? Again, this is common sense stuff. How do you know if you're dating someone and then how do you know if you're married, right? And there's a big difference between dating and marriage. And there's the difference between something that can be more transactional in a relationship and something that can be much more long-term, much more sustainable, something that's really about the agreement that you establish together and the vows that you take together, right? I'm not saying there's some, not some overlap at times. We all know that. But we also know that there's a significant difference when you approach a partnership or a relationship from the standpoint of dating one to a one of marrying one, Right. There's also a difference when you know that a partner is dating you or the partner's married to you because you also got to have that listening sense to be able to really take in what the truth is of a relationship and then use that as an opportunity to assess to say, well, where do we need to be? One of the biggest things that you can do is what I call 360 mapping, right? 360 mapping is this process of truly going through your partnerships, going through your organization and going through a process of, of, of mapping to say, where do we got it, whether we need it or whether we can't do it, right? So your standpoint of guided is, these are the strengths that I have. This is, these are my guided components. These are the things that I know that we bring value to and the things that we can move forward. What's the needed component? Meaning these are our gaps. These are the places that are gonna help us to fill in, to create opportunities where we can grow, accelerate, sustain, do the work that we do. And what is it that we can't do? Your can't do is your no-nos, right? We can't do it whether it's because of your principles, whether it's legally, whether it's other things, but you know what your guidelines when you start to map. So it gives you a roadmap in how you engage in your conversations, how you think about developing your partnerships, and then how you put appropriate measures to ensure that you're meeting success. And then speaking of success, define it, embrace it, express it. You got to clearly define what success means and what it looks like, right? And you have to put it down and it has to be in writing and it has to be a very clear assessment of what that looks like because it gives you a really good projection to, to say, here's what we need to point to. You have to also embrace it, right? But one of the last things you, you, wanna, you don't want, the last things you don't want to do is have a culture where you're defining success and you don't find uh, opportunities to truly embrace it, to recognize, to give the pat on the backs, to hit the milestones that allows you to continue to build with the team. And then you have to express it. You have to communicate it when you, when you win. And you have to communicate it when you don't. 
right? It's all part of that circular process of continuing to have that life cycle about how you win. And here's the thing about a winning culture. Winning cultures don't always win. That's the truth. Winning cultures don't always win. Winning cultures are the ones that have a belief about winning, right? That allows for winning to exude so that every single thing is seen as an opportunity, a learning, teachable moment, a learning opportunity, a growth, a development. Those are winning cultures so that when you're doing those things right, you're building in the types of principles that allow you to ultimately get the outcomes that you want to truly create winning. Rule number three, stories are in our DNA, bring them to life. I'm a true believer in storytelling. I'm a truly a true believer in the power of story. I told you my dad was a preacher. My granddad was a preacher. So I've heard my share of stories over my lifetime. Um, I, I'm always taken back by Myers Angelou's quote here. There's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of you. Now, of course, there was a lot going on. Uh, and the trauma that Maya Angelou was experiencing that was related to that quote. But the quote, no matter what you're related to in life, is so true. An untold story. You have to be able to not only tell the story, but to truly articulate the story that connects and engages people, right? Building purpose is about stories. It's about connection of stories, because we all have them. Our life journey is a story, right? Everything that we do, there is a story tied into it. That is why we're hardwired towards it. So think about your stories. And here's what I would say is you think about your stories much more intentionally. Think about four things. The story everyone knows. What is that? The story everyone knows is the one that people believe about you, right? It's the one that you may want to accentuate. Sometimes it's one that you may need to minimize a bit. But it's the story that people come into knowing about you, right? When you think about Big Brothers, Big Sisters, people know that we're a legacy organization. Many people know about us in, in the sense of the big and the little, right? That's the story that everyone knows. Think about the story that no one knows. What's being hidden under the rock? What's that in the treasure trove that no one knows that you can bring out and expand even more? Very few people know about Big Brothers, Big Sisters, that we are the largest operator of workplace mentoring program for young people in the country. Very few people know that, but we are, and that's what we do. But it's a story that many people don't know, but more people need to know. The story everybody wants to share. What's the compelling story? What is it that gets people excited, that engages them, that feels like fuels that fire, right? So when you're sitting around the, the storytelling campfire, it's the thing that fuels the fire and gets the fire higher and gets it stronger. The sense of the story everybody wants to share for us is the story of our young people, the difference in the lives that they make, the, the changes, the differences of things that they're pursuing, their dreams that they're achieving, right? That's the story that everyone wants to share. We have to be able to create that type of content in compelling and meaningful ways to be able to share it. But you all have that in your organizations, in your companies, in every single thing that you do. You have every aspect of each of these stories. And then last but not least, what's the story only you can share? What's the unique story that only you can share that becomes powerful, that becomes engaging, that becomes mobilizing, right? This is our story when I talk about our story of our DNA and who we are by essence, by our DNA of Jedi and our focus, that that's the story only we can share because it's our organizational history. It's our lived experience. Same way you think about an organization, think about it for yourself. What's the story everyone knows about you? What's the story no one knows? What's the story everybody wants to share? What's the story only you can share and the power that you have? Whether it's personal or professional, the idea of building a purpose is both the same and it's interconnected. Last but not least, rule number four, remember your values and your value. And I wanna say that one more time, remember your values and your value, because they're both connected. The idea of your values, what is it, was it that you live by, that you guide by, but also the value? What is it that you bring to the table that is powerful, that's unique, that's compelling, that brings leverage? Here's another quote that I love. This is from my 11-year-old daughter. 
not her quote, but one that she loves, that she gave me. Happiness can be found in even the darkest of times if one only remembers to turn on the light. Albus Dumbledore. I think you all know where Albus Dumbledore from. She's a huge Harry Potter fan. I mean, significant Harry Potter fan. Um, but I love this quote. Um, I love it uh, that every single time that I read it or every single time that she has, she's watching the movie and I hear it said, right? Or hear it stated. The values part of this to me is so critically important because it really speaks to the type of village that you want to value. Knowing your negotiables, defining your value change, and creating the value for others, right? This is the power of the village that we create and the things that we do. Now, last but not least, uh, and I'm sure that this can be shared with you all, these are some uh, sites to go to, books to read, young people to follow. I'll, re I'll repeat, young people to follow. Follow the interesting people, but follow the young people as well. And then listen, I encourage you to connect with me. Uh, please go on to my LinkedIn um, and, and connect with me. Love to, to hear from you. Uh, love to get connected with you. You'll see my Twitter there uh, as well. And then check out our website at bbbs.org to learn more about us and the work that we're doing. Thank you for your time today. Really appreciate having the opportunity to share with you. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Artists, uh, thank you, uh, thank you very much for that. I think we've uh, formed the Artist Stevens fan club in the chat. I think you compelled a lot of our audience today because you just made this really a story about yourself, um, and and in that that playing into that authenticity, you you were able to weave that through into you know how you go about your business and and how you go about building and maintaining and growing an organization. So we'll we'll go all the way back to your first slide. I, uh, I only have two years in the running, but uh, I've been father of the year twice uh, in my household. Uh, so I'm two consecutive years. Uh, I've got, I'm actually, on, on that note, we've got a second daughter on the way. And I'm thinking along the lines of having this captive audience while the chat fills up with questions. I mean, give us, give us a piece of advice. I mean, maybe it's something that you, you, know, you, you bring close from your grandmother, from your father, your grandfather. Just about, um, less about, uh, like fatherly advice, but just how about you conduct yourself personally, sort of outside of business necessarily? Um, what are some of your sort of at, at your core values, talk about respect and things of that nature, but how do you guide yourself um, as you sort of navigate through being a father, being a boss, being, you know, um, an employee? What are some of the things that you bring with you sort of at each stage or, or that remain consistent across how you, you exist or how you live your life? Yeah, it's a great question, Greg. And, and, I, and I will tell you that, and, and this is what I was illustrating in, in, in my sharing, is that they're all intrinsically linked, right? Um, that they're not disconnected. And I think that's what we're finding out more and more, even as we live through the pandemic and people are seeing our households, right? That everything is linked and everything is connected. And it's just, it's bringing us more to that, to that sense and that feeling. I will tell you, and I'll do it in a very simple way, because I know we are pressed for time, that every morning that I get up, my girls, I have two girls, 13 and 11 year old that you, that, that you all saw. Um, but every morning we get up as a family before they leave for school and we say uh, a line, it's one line, but that line guides me. And we also live established as a family. It's like our family model. It's be smart in the decisions that you make and the, the, the way that you think about it and being judicious in the way you think about it. Be strong, not strong in the physical sense, but in character, right? Our character and our ethics and our integrity. Uh, and this, this idea to be smart, to be strong, to be caring, and this idea of emotional and being emotive to other people and being caring about other people in the world that's around you and to be you, right? And I should simply say be kind, right? We use caring, but we use be kind as the word uh, and to be you, right? And that's being authentically being to yourself, being true to yourself in every single thing that you do and remembering who you are and where you come from. Uh, is the basis of that. So, you know, being smart, being strong, being kind, and being you is what I would say that for me connects. And 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 I think we all should have our own personalized motto, right? So, if there's any encouragement that I would give all your all the people that's watching this, is to say, 
create your motto, create the thing that you live by, that you hang up on the wall and you look at every single day. And it's your guidance for whether you work for in your life, for your friendships or anything thing that you do, because that's your, your personal purpose board, like I was sharing earlier. I love that. That was uh, our keynote uh, yesterday. Steve Osman shared a similar thing about having this mantra, right? You get confused, you're at a crossroads, mm-hmm. you're overwhelmed, just being able to remember like, hey, these are the values that I'm going to live through and, and here's how I'm going to keep, uh, keep on, on that track. Um, another question here from the, from the audience here. Um, do you have any specific, in air quotes, rules or anything like that around how you lead people? Do you have principles that guide you or, or how, do you, uh, how do you take that on? Yeah, I, I will say just quickly is, is um, my, my guidance in leading a lot comes from my background in sports. Um, I think there's so much to learn from sports. So I always have, I always call my, my leadership style a coaching style. And I think that's a, more, a popularized, popularized word as well. But I believe in coaching. And the idea is that you try to find, you create a plan, a playbook. You try to create the playbook. That playbook's collaborative. You find the right talent and you engage the right talent on the field, right? And then you allow, you have to be flexible enough to understand in game time, different things are going to happen, different situations, and you're going to have to adjust that game plan as you go along in real time. But most importantly, that you empower your talent and your people to do the jobs and why you brought them on the field in the first place, right? So I'm, that word empowerment for me is critically important in leadership because ultimately you got to get the right people on board and get out of their way so they can do the jobs that you brought them on to do. In our last sort of minute and a half here, artists, help people understand how big, large corporations can get involved and can support big brothers and big sisters. Um, what, uh, what are some ways that, uh, that people can get involved in, in the, uh, with the organization? Oh, so many incredible ways to be able to do that. So, um, of course, as I mentioned before, we got 30,000 volunteer, uh, 30, kids on our waiting list. We need more volunteers. We need more people engaging. We need more workplaces. We, again, we can help create workplace programs to support uh, more companies and, and more people uh, who are willing to get involved. Or if you want to go to our website, if you're an individual and you're looking. The other places, remember, to make a match happen, that just doesn't happen by us just saying, hey, here's a person that you can go out and connect with. We have to do audits. We have to look at the family. We have to assess the volunteer. We have to do background checks. We have to, there's a lot of technology, uh, staff time, capacity. That takes investment. That takes funding to ensure that those types of matches happen powerfully. So we need donations. We need investments so that our families not having to pay that because they can't afford that. So it's kind donors, partners, investors who help us to do that. Last thing I'll say is expertise and talent. So a lot of the work that we do in terms of building marketing and communication takes people with expertise to come in and support a lot of that work. So companies that have expertise in marketing, communication, technology, those types of spaces, DEI work, that's the type of talent and engagement that we're looking for in alliances to help us to build and reach more kids and make an impact. More important than anything that artist said is really who artist is as a person. As their CEO, he seems like a guy who has been training for this role his whole life. He's a dynamic leader and a great speaker and just an incredible human being who has devoted his life to really worthy causes. I love the vulnerability that he showed by sharing his purpose board at the beginning of his remarks. Artis has clearly been very intentional about his life and his education and his career and his personal relationships. I love when people live their life with real intention. You know, like artists, people with intention seek out mentors and they navigate jobs as stepping stones to bigger and better things. I witnessed way too many leaders who have these big titles and probably even these big paychecks, but they're simply not happy. They aren't motivated to bring their best selves to work each day because they don't love what they're doing or who they're doing it with. One of the most pleasant surprises that I've gained from studying cult brands for the past decade is witnessing how fulfilled and how engaged cult brand leaders are. They're just happier. And I think it's because they've done the hard work of aligning their personal values with their professional pursuits. And they have found fun and interesting ways to commingle their passions with their day jobs. I wish that for you as well. If nothing else, as you listen to these Cult Brand Secrets podcasts, please pay attention to the people who are speaking. 
Observe their enthusiasm for their job and their zest for life. It's desirable and it can be contagious. If you surround yourself with those types of people, you can't help but want to emulate them and enjoy what they're enjoying. I wish you great financial success, but more importantly, I wish you happiness. And those two are not as correlated as you may think. Until next time. Once again, this is your host, Chris Neeland, and you've been listening to Cult Brand Secrets, where we explore the great speakers and insights shared at the gathering of Forbes' top-rated business summit. Learn more about the gathering at cultgathering.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please rate and review us on your podcast app. It really helps. Cult Brand Secrets is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, Learn more about our podcasts at evergreenpodcast.com. Special thanks to Connor Standish and Laura Winter for their assistance in making this podcast possible. Also, I'd like to thank our producer and audio engineer, William Pritz, as well as executive producers, David Moss and Bridget Coyne. I'm your host, Chris Nealon. Thanks for listening. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you, and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.